Well, I know I'm Tanner, uh, the student pastor here, if I haven't met you, and so super grateful that you would join us. But like Mark said, um, I'll be teaching, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity, but I don't think that what Mark said is 100% accurate about why he's glad that I'm teaching this morning. Like, I think there might be a tiny bit of him being excited because he got in super late last night, had to wake up this early this morning, but I think it's really because he gets to wear shorts because he's not preaching. Like, that's the truth of it. And so, regardless of whatever it is, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, and so, man, I'm excited to, to see what God's going to teach us. And we're in John chapter 16. Um, and so we, we're continuing in the sermon series of John. We've been in it all year. And just to remind us, even though we have been in this, this book of the Bible throughout the whole year, I want to remind us where we're currently at. And where we're going to look at this morning is we're getting really, really close to the end of Jesus's life. That Jesus has been with his disciples for three years, teaching them, ministering to people, and we are in what is known as like the last supper, the last night that he's with his disciples. That in a few hours, Jesus is about to be arrested, um, sold for 30 pieces of silver by one of his disciples, betrayed, that he's going to be undergo a trial by religious leaders who are trying to kill him to get them out of um, disrupting what they're, they're doing in their religion. Like Jesus is about to be brutally beaten and the next day he's going to die. And so this is where we're at in the story. And Jesus is in the last few hours with his disciples and we're going to see what Jesus wants to tell his disciples upon the eve of Jesus's death. Like, and remember who the disciples are. They were just regular men who Jesus called them to follow him. And these disciples reoriented their whole life to follow Jesus. Like, they left their careers, they left their families, they may have left their, their area that they grew up in, that they left a lot to follow Jesus. Like, John, who wrote this book, he actually dropped his fishing nets, left his boats at the Sea of Galilee to follow Jesus. They left everything. And so Jesus, knowing who he's talking to, knowing that in a few hours, these men are going to be questioning everything. That did we just follow Jesus for nothing? Is none of this going to matter? Like, did Jesus just fool us when he dies? Like, these disciples are going to be facing some fear that everything that they've done the past few hours was for nothing. And so with all of this on Jesus's mind, what we see that Jesus is concerned about is that Jesus is worried about preparing his disciples to endure life without losing their joy. That of, every, of everything that Jesus could have taught his disciples or said to them in these last few hours with his disciples, which he's said a lot and we've learned a lot about them, some of the last phrases that he is telling his disciples is he is reminding them that their circumstances don't determine their joy. And the same is true for you and I today. And so we're going to look at the joy that Jesus offers us. And so I'll give you the three points that we're going to walk through up front so that way you can follow along with notes. And so the first thing that we're going to see in this passage of John 16 is that Jesus gives joy through sorrow. That even when we have sorrow, Jesus gives us joy through it. And then the second thing we'll see is that joy is rooted in relationship with Jesus. And then finally, we're going to see that joy from Jesus endures that it endures whatever we face. And so we'll be in John 16. We're going to read verses 19 through 22 to start off. So this is where the Lord says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, 
and then after a little while you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So at the beginning of this, this section, we're seeing that Jesus knows his disciples are confused. That Jesus has used some different phrases of, you're going to see me in a little while, and then in a little while you're not going to see me, and in a little while you're going to see me. Like, and they are confused because they're trying to figure out their calendars, and when they can count on Jesus to be with them. They want to make sure they're with him when he is here. They're confused on why he's gone, and the disciples are asking among one another because they want to understand it. And so they're asking for clarity. They are wanting specific days, specific times. Like they want Jesus to spell it out clearly when he's going to be with them so that way they can understand. Like remember, these disciples don't know what's about to happen. Like Jesus has alluded to his death. He's alluded to him leaving them, but they don't know that he's about to die. And then in three days, he's going to be brought back to life and uh, in resurrection. And so this passage comes before all of that. And so Jesus knows that the disciples want clarity, but he also knows that they need something more than information. What the disciples need is not information because in time that's going to come. The, the events are going to unfold and they're going to learn what Jesus means through that, but also the spirit who, who, who he had just promised would help them understand the meaning of everything. But Jesus knows that what their hearts and minds needed, them, needed most is to be prepared to endure the coming crisis of faith. That if their joy is to be lasting and stable, he needs to prepare them for this. Like Jesus cares for them and is good and he wants them to be stable when the dark of night comes. And so Jesus wants to prepare them for that. And so what does he say? Things are about to get really, really bad. Like verse 20, it says, very truly, like very truly, what is going to happen? You're going to weep and you're going to mourn while the world rejoices. Like What a great pep talk, right? Like Jesus is telling his disciples, like, I want your joy to endure. But what he starts out with is it's about to get really, really bad. Like you're going to be weeping, you're going to be sad, and the world is going to be celebrating at your sadness. But the the disciples don't know why they're going to be weeping. They don't know why there's going to be mourning. But like what Jesus is trying to tell them is I'm about to die. Like, I'm about to go away. You're not going to be with me. I'm about to be brutally beaten and publicly murdered. Like, in a really like embarrassing way for those of you who know Jesus, like to the point where Peter denies that he know, even knows Jesus. And we're going to see the world rejoicing. Like we're going to see the religious leaders who, were, who oppose Jesus, their plan to kill him succeeds. And they're happy about it. That soldiers at the cross, when Jesus is, is nailed to it, they're, they're gambling, they're casting lots to see who can take his clothing home that they post a sign above him that says king of the Jews, like to mock him, that crowds even riot to make Jesus or to get Jesus killed. And so the world is going to rejoice while the disciples weep and mourn that the person they gave up everything for is dead. Like they give up their whole lives to follow Jesus and he's about to leave them. And so I love that Jesus doesn't shy away from telling us how hard things are going to get. Like, I don't know if your experiences from me is similar to mine, but like the world likes to tell us that everything's going to be okay. Like if you get dumped by a girlfriend, hey, it's going to be okay. Just give it time. Like, or 
if things are going really bad, people want to encourage us well-meaningly, but everything isn't always okay. And Jesus acknowledges that. Like Jesus tells them it's going to be hard. It, he's honest that pain's going to come because he wants to prepare them for it. Like, and so what we can learn from this is that when pain and disappointment come, our proper response is to feel those emotions, to experience the sadness, to weep and to mourn. Like the Bible encourages us to do that. Like there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Lamentations that is talking about weeping and mourning, lamenting over the effects of sin, like what we walk through. Like, and in the, that book, it's talking about like the effects of our sin and the other sins. But like there's hard things of life. Like Jesus, remember earlier in the book of John, Lazarus, his good friend, dies. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. And so Jesus acknowledges that pain is going to come. And so he doesn't want to just, just skip over it and act like it's not there. But sorrow is going to come. But what Jesus tells us is that sorrow won't last. That the joy Jesus promises isn't opposed to sorrow, but it actually comes through sorrow. So that's our first point that we see this morning, is that Jesus gives joy through sorrow. Verse 20, Jesus says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus like, uses an analogy of a woman giving birth to illustrate that the cause of sorrow is actually going to be the birth of joy. That the cause of sorrow is the cause of joy. Because like, after someone gives birth to a baby, like, and I'm not a woman, so like, I feel like, very ill-equipped to like, talk about like, this analogy that Jesus uses. But, but Jesus is telling them that like, there's pain that comes with pregnancy. Like, it hurts. Um, but joy comes even through it. That, that there is sorrow, that there's pain, like the pain of pregnancy, but there is pain that has a purpose. Its purpose is to give birth to a child. And after a woman gives birth to a child, there is joy that supersedes the pain. Like my mom's in the room and I know that there, like it was probably really painful giving birth to me, but I know there are times that when I was a teenager that it was also really, really painful that she had to deal with me. But there's a lot of joy that, gets, that comes with me, right? <laughs> that my mom's very happy that she has me. Like, and she's shaking her head, no, like, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But, but there is pain that comes from pregnancy, but that pregnancy is superseded by a joy that is greater than the pain of pregnancy. And so the same is going to be true for the disciples. That there's the sorrow of Jesus's death when he leaves them and their face questioning everything is going to be real. But it comes, it'll become a distant memory when Jesus reappears and joins back with the disciples after conquering death. And so can I remind us something uniquely beautiful about our God this morning? Jesus redeems our sorrow like we have a God who's in the business of redeeming things, that our God, it is his, it's part of him to return bad things into good things. That part of Jesus's death was, like it was dealing with the bad of the world, the sin, the brokenness, the, everything that has fallen apart, that, that Jesus had to die. And from that, that death, God turned his son's death into our greatest good. That through Jesus' death, there is access to God and forgiveness of sins that we wouldn't have without that pain. And God can turn that into our greatest good. God can turn our sorrow, our pain, the things we walk through in this life into good as well. Like, in fact, he promises it. Like, and it's hard to trust sometimes, but Jesus promises. And in Romans 8, 28, 
There's a verse that we often read and, and struggle to wrestle with, but Romans 8.20 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God is in the business of redeeming our sorrow and our pain. And though we, breathe, though we grieve, like we can trust that God is good, that we can trust that God cares for us, that he's working for our best interests. Like there's a quote by Jackie Hill Perry, who she's a writer and a, t- a Bible teacher. And she says, she's talking about God's holiness. And it's a characteristic of God that we like maybe sing about, but don't totally understand. But God's holiness is talking about how God is other than he is separate. He's not us. And his holiness is about him being other than transcendent but it's also about him being perfect, like his moral purity that he cannot sin. And she says that because God is holy, he can't sin. And if God can't sin, he can't sin against you. And if God can't sin against you, then he is the most trustworthy being there is. And so even when we are walking through pain, we can trust God because he can't sin against us. Like the effects of sin in this world, the wages of sin is death. Like it didn't spare Jesus' life. And so we can't escape the effects of sin in ours. But through Jesus, there's a joy that comes through sorrow. That because Jesus' death and burial and resurrection is true, is real, is a reality that we live in, Jesus' death is not the end of the story, and so our sorrow is not the end of our story. And so we see that Jesus gives joy through sorrow. And secondly, we see that joy is rooted in relationship with Jesus. So I want to read the next section of John 16, verses 23 through 28. And we're going to see that joy is rooted in being connected in relationship to Jesus. So it says, In that day, when Jesus is gone away from his disciples, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. And I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And so lasting joy is found through this relationship with Jesus because Like Jesus is concerned for his disciples' joy because he's about to leave them. But he promises something that even though he is gone, we still have connection to him. That through prayer, Jesus is able to, the disciples are able to stay connected to Jesus and to to God the Father. That soon when Jesus dies and leaves um, his disciples, the, the disciples can't just turn to him and have a conversation and get comfort or get answers or clarity about something. But that doesn't mean that they can't stay connected with Jesus, that they have the privilege of going directly to the Father in prayer. And so if we're honest, like a lot of times I think that when we hear that prayer is a privilege and it's a way that we can stay with God, that, that like that should be a comfort for us. Like it, it doesn't bring excitement for us because we've been disappointed through prayer or maybe we're frustrated through prayer because we, we've heard a verse like this, like ask anything in my name and the Father will give it to you. But yet we think of the prayers that we spent time praying to God, God, would you heal this person? Would you provide in this way? Would you do this? And because he doesn't give it to us, we feel like God played a mean trick on us, that he promised something that he didn't intend to keep. But, and so we, we have this effect of thinking prayer doesn't matter, but 
But God isn't doing that to us. Like it's hard for us to reconcile how God can promise to answer our prayers and then and deeply care us and care for us and not give us everything that we want, like a magic little genie in Aladdin, like where he comes up and he gives us whatever we ask. Like you have three wishes, but that's not what prayer is. Because like when we pray to God, like there's something greater that he's trying to do through us. And so can I like just maybe, just maybe like point out that sometimes I think God's answers look differently than we want because we hold on to this world so tightly. And I think that through God answering prayers differently than we would want, he's trying to teach us to release this world. That for believers of Jesus, this world's not our home, but we try to hold on to it like it is. That Jesus wants us to trust him. Like he wants us to trust that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, so I would gently and lovingly ask us, when, in regards to our prayers, are our prayers mainly concerning our comfort, what we can get from God? Or are they worried about and, and seeking to join God's mission on earth? Like when you think about the Lord's prayer, like Jesus teaches us to pray like for God's advancement of God's kingdom on earth, like on earth as it is in heaven. Like God is trying to teach us to pray for heaven to come to earth, like for his kingdom to, to take root of this world. And he's inviting us through a relationship with him to pray for that to happen. And so in our prayers, God really wants us to join him in fixing what is broken by telling the world that there's a hope that we have in Jesus, that Jesus is redeeming this world to make all things new, that he's trying to restore relationship between us and God that has been broken from sin. And so when Jesus is saying, like, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, it's a promise that the Father is going to give us strength and power and equipping to let us live in a way to help us fulfill the mission of God. But it's not a way to earn our way to God. Like, don't mistake us praying for the mission of God as a way for us to get to God. It is out of the abundance of our relationship with God that we should love people. And through, through the love that God has given us, we love people and we want them to be connected to God. And we want to tell others about the hope of Jesus out of an overflow of the relationship that we have with God. Jesus' invitation to prayer is an invitation to relationship with him. And then in verse 27 and 28, Jesus is reminding the disciples that you have access to the Father directly. Like that we don't have to just go through Jesus, that we can go directly to God. It says that the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that Jesus came from God, that I have come from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Like this is almost like a summary statement of Jesus's mission, that he came from heaven to earth to provide a way for access with God to be, to be present that his death and burial and resurrection was for us to be able to be in relationship with the Father. And so, so Jesus is saying, man, now that you are connected with me, because you love me, because you are in a relationship with me, the sin that destroyed your relationship with God has been removed and now you have access to God. So we're seeing that joy is rooted in a relationship with Jesus because through our relationship with Jesus, sin has been removed, that there is no longer a penalty of our sin on those who trust in Jesus. Because Jesus lived the life that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserved. It's like if we, if we just look around the world around us, it doesn't take much to acknowledge that something's not right, right? And we come up with so many reasons as to why that's the case. 
But so often we don't diagnose why the world is broken accurately. Like we might blame people who wronged us. We might blame that somebody hurt us. We might blame the government. We might blame that we're stressed or we, we might fill, fill in the blank for whatever we might blame. But the lack of, the, of joy in the world can be traced to a peace, to a lack of peace with God. That the world, and including ourselves, even those who know Jesus, we are trying to live how we want. We're trying to live separated, not letting God direct our steps. And that itself is what is causing us to want, to want more. Because this world cannot satisfy us. It's always going to leave us wanting. But when we are connected to God, when that relationship is restored, the whole pressure of performing and our identity, it's lifted. Because we have an identity as a son and a daughter of God, who, people who have been forgiven, where sin is no longer the, the identity on us, that we can walk in the freedom of life and forgiveness that Jesus gives us. We don't have to continually prove ourselves that, to, to, to anyone because the love of the Father has been given to us and we get to rest in the joy and the love and the acceptance of God. So maybe this morning you're here and you don't follow Jesus. Like, man, we're super glad you're here. But I just wanna invite you, like if you don't follow Jesus, if Jesus isn't someone that you would say that you've given your life to, that you've placed your faith and trust in him, man, I just wanna encourage you to, 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 to follow Jesus. Like it's the best thing that you could ever do because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy us and our access to God, like following Jesus is the greatest need that we have in life. And so, man, if that's you, I'd, man, please come talk to me, talk to Mark. Like, if you're not a believer in Jesus, man, you, joy is rooted in a relationship with Jesus. This world can give us happiness that is momentary, but joy rooted in forgiveness of sins, that is what it gives us true freedom in life on earth. And so joy is rooted in relationship with Jesus. And then the third point we're going to see is that the joy from Jesus endures. I love John 16, 33, which says, like, I'm going to read it. Um, hopefully, if I love the verse, I'm going to read it for all of us. So, so let's read it. I've told you these things. So Jesus is saying, everything that I've said up until now, everything I'm telling you for the Spirit to come and help you to be your advocate, to be your helper, Him coming, that sorrow is going to turn into joy, like these things I'm telling you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. This is why we can have joy. That no matter what is going on, this statement is true that Jesus has overcome the world. The, the disciples, in a few hours, they're about to face the darkest reality that they could possibly have. That They gave up everything to follow Jesus, and then he's going to die. He's going to be brutally mocked, beaten, like he's going to die. But because Jesus dies and Jesus rose from the, gra rose from the grave, coming back to life, like we have a joy that can never be taken from us. That Jesus' death was necessary for our sins to be forgiven. Like without his death, the penalty, the, the wages of our sin it still remains. But Jesus coming back to life ensures the death and troubles of, of this world do not have the final say. Jesus' resurrection means that those who trust in Jesus, there is eternal life. That this world is not all that there is. Like believers in Jesus, like this earth, the pain we experience, the heartaches that we walk through, this is the closest to hell that we ever experience. 
Like this world is not our home. The best is yet to come because there will be a day when we're with God in a world as it should be. Like Jesus has overcome the world. Take heart. Like yes, Jesus promises the trouble is gonna come, but take heart. Like be encouraged might be another way to say take heart. Like cheer up. Like we can tell ourselves cheer up because there is a truth that supersedes the pain and the whatever we're walking through in life that we can have a joy that endures this world because Jesus has overcome the world. That he walked this world He endured, like he walked through every temptation, every struggle, every pain that we have experienced, and he overcame it once and for all. And so we have that hope that we can hold on to and look to. And often like that truth of what Jesus has done, like like it, it, it should free us, but there's a disconnect between what we know and what we feel, like what we believe. But that doesn't diminish that the joy of Jesus endures, that it can still remain and it's offered to us. Like, and can I be honest for like a second, like real, like maybe I need to take my pastor hat off and like, so that way like I can be a real human, but, but I struggle with this. Like I struggle with finding joy in everyday life. Like many of you know, like I got married to, to Rebecca in April. She's mad because I said Rebecca, not Eddie, which is what she goes by, which is her maiden name. So if you've wondered why she goes by Eddie, Eddie, that's her, her, it's her maiden name. But we got married in April. Um, and I've learned a lot since we got married. Um, and all the husbands are like, oh, yep, I've been there too. I'm just kidding. Like, it's, it's been great. Like, I have had a blast, like, in this five months of being married, um, and, like, I've learned that I'm apparently really particular with rinsing out the sink. Because if coffee or something is poured down the sink, I've got to rinse that sucker down. So that way it's not, there's no stains. I've also learned that there is a right way to place the pillows on the bed when you make the bed. Like, because for me, like, making the bed was just a win. Like, if I made my bed in the morning, that's a win. But there's a certain order that you've got to place all 17 pillows, like, on the bed. Like, there's just seven, I think, two, four. No, there's only six on our bed. There's seven on our guest bed. But, um, but I do think that, like, who needs that many pillows? Like, I do think they're accurately named, like, as throw pillows because you just throw them off the bed and then you, then you climb in. But, but I've, what I've also learned is what I said, that I struggle to find joy in day-to-day life. Like, there are a lot of days when, maybe it's when I wake up, but a lot of times when I come home from work or from, from staff, there's a heaviness that like that is on my shoulders that like I don't even realize like there's a weight that I'm carrying around like maybe it's like trying to figure out finances and how do we save enough for retirement or how do we save for a car like maybe it's that maybe it's the stresses of man I've got a lot on my plate Uh, maybe I'm just in a bad mood or or there's anxiety and like I'm anxious about things and a few months back, like she asked me a question that, that kind of took me back for a second. And she looked at me on one of those days and gently said, why do you take, the, why do you take life so seriously? And now it's become code for us. Not that like, I don't need to take life seriously, but, but it's a signal. Take a breath. Like, like you can release the weight. You can release the anxieties, the stresses of this world. Like I think she's trying to tell me, like I don't have to carry all those pressures that I can release the pain I'm holding on to, that I can remind myself that God's good and that he cares for me, like that I need to remind myself of this truth that, 
that Jesus has overcome the world and we get to walk in that freedom and that joy every day. Because like many of you, the past couple years have been hard. Like in some of you on a greater scale than even what I'm about to share. But since March of 2020, she and I, we've walked through a lot. Like on March 2nd of 2020, I was asleep in my bed and a tornado hit my house. I completely wrecked it in Nashville, Tennessee, lost most of what I owned, cars totaled, was able to save some clothes, but lost just about everything else. I was safe, unhurt by God's grace. And then, so that happened. A week later, COVID and quarantine hits. So talk about a crazy life shifting in the matter of a week. And then um, like quarantine's happening and like, a lot of my friends take different jobs and they move from Nashville. And so I'm feeling really lonely in this city that I loved. And then she and I started dating. And so like there's a high moment of life. And then um, her, her grandma passed away. And we had to walk through like what it's like to lose someone that you deeply care about. And she had an abrupt job change, like due to like financial changes of her workplace with COVID and the effects of it. Like she lost her job and we had to adjust to that. Um, and then I moved twice. I started here. We got engaged. And then a month before our wedding, her mom was diagnosed with cancer. And, and by God's grace, like it, it was about as good of a, like, cancer diagnosis scenario as possible. Like, she's fine. Like, she's in remission. Like, it's been really great. But all of those things, like, that's a lot to walk through in a couple years of life. And it took my eyes off of the joy that we can have in Jesus, where, like, there are a lot of days where I'm walking, forgetting that we have this, this great hope in Jesus. And some of you might be there this morning, because we all have walked through a really hard couple of years But this morning, man, may we take our eyes off of our circumstances and lift them to Jesus. Like, take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. Like, I had forgotten the promise of Romans, or of Revelation 21.4, where it promises of our future that we have of, there will be a day that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. Like, that is the hope that we have because Jesus overcame the world. Like because Jesus has risen from the grave, that there's a joy that endures anything that we face. That we don't have to wait until heaven or, or the new earth to, to rejoice in this joy that we have. But we have to stop filling ourselves with so much of this world. Like there's a lot of good things that we fill ourselves with, but we've got to stop and we've got to remind ourselves of what we have in Jesus so that his truth, his joy can fill us. We've got to create space in us. And so as the band comes and as we start to close, I want to give us a couple of practices, like just two practical tips of how do we cultivate this joy? Because there is a disconnect between what we know and what we believe. So what are a couple of ways that we can build that into our daily lives where the resurrection of Jesus means that we can take heart? And so two things that we can do is, the first one is each day we can name two things that we're grateful for. Like there are studies that show that that being intentional about practicing gratitude shifts our, our mindset, that it can go from negative to being positive just by being grateful. And that's not like a health, wealth, like choose your positivity. It's like, no, we're like centering our, we're, like, we're focusing on what God has blessed us with. So maybe it's like the incredible weather. Maybe it's having an awesome meal with some friends. Maybe it is 
the, like that first sip of coffee in the morning, that is one of my most joyful moments in the day. So what, whatever it is, like, man, think of two things that you're grateful for each day. Maybe it's you writing them down in a journal. Maybe it's you having a conversation at the dinner table. But we can name two things that we're grateful for, and it's going to help our mindsets. And the second thing that we can do is we can meditate on God's word. Like you hear us often from the stage encourage you to read maybe a verse or a chapter from scripture each day. And that is like one of the greatest ways for us to cultivate joy because it's reminding us of the truth that we can hold on to. But I want to encourage us to go a step further. Maybe it's choosing one verse like John 16, 33. And we read it over and over and over so that way it gets in us where we are filling our mind with the truth of scripture, where it's not where we just walk away and we forget what we've read, because that happens so often. But when we meditate on God's word, it helps it get in us, where when we're in a hard moment, it comes back to mind. So we can meditate on God's word. And so to close this morning, I want to do something a little differently. Instead of praying, I want to read a section of scripture from Romans 9. Yeah, Romans, not Romans 9, Romans 8, 31 through 39 over us to to remind us of this truth and to help us lift our eyes to Jesus. And then after I read it, we're going to worship and celebrate the hope that we have in God, the joy that is offered to us. And so so I'm going to read Romans 8, 31 through 39 for us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are slaughtered, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like church, this is our hope that nothing can separate us from God. No circumstance, nothing can separate us from the, from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors through all things. And so can we celebrate that this morning? Can we sing to this King who gives us something to hold on to when life falls apart? I mean, let's hold on to this. Let's celebrate this. Let's stand and let's sing to this Jesus.